I want to begin this morning by asking you to listen very carefully to the following sentence. The phospholipid bilayer allows for bidirectional transport of cellular metabolites via membrane pores and transmembrane proteins. Yes. Now, that was English. <clears throat> A little slower. The phospholipid bilayer. All of that was English. But I would be surprised if there was even one person in the room that understood what I just read. I have one, two. No, you don't count. One. <clears throat> because she studied cellular biology. Okay? For the rest of us, it made no sense whatsoever. The sermon today is about sharing the good news of Jesus in a way that people can understand. Because there are some ways that we can share the good news, and it sounds just like cellular biology to somebody who knows nothing about cellular biology. We saw that last week, Jesus appointed Paul to be a missionary to the Gentiles. Today, we're going to be looking at two examples of how Paul shared the good news with different groups of people. In just a minute, we're going to read from Acts 17, <clears throat> but just a little background. Paul is on a missionary journey. He's already visited the cities of Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. He left, we, we kind of read between the lines and realize that he's left parts of his missionary team in one or more of those cities. He's traveled on to Athens in Greece, and he's waiting for them to catch up to him. So remain seated, and let's read together our, our first scripture today, Acts 17, verses 16 and 17. Let's read. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day, with those who happened to be there. Now when it says there that he was in the city and he saw that it was full of idols, those, that's referring to, the word idol refers to statues in this case, statues of their gods. Now when you, if you look, uh, read the book of Acts and you look at what Paul did, you find that he had a pattern. He traveled throughout the Roman Empire and his typical pattern would be when he came into a city, he would always, if possible, begin in the Jewish synagogue. Whatever city he's in, if there was a synagogue, he would start there. He would teach them about the Messiah from the Old Testament, and then he would show how Jesus is the Messiah. Now, if you remember from uh, the last couple of sermons, when I talked about Paul, when he was Saul, before he became a Christian, he heard this good news. He didn't consider it good news about Jesus. He thought it was heresy. He thought that there's no way that Jesus could be the Messiah. Well, he was not alone in that. There were Jews all over the empire who were not convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. And they, like Saul, responded by pushing back. There was opposition. And so when the opposition grew sufficiently, and he's no longer welcome in the synagogue, he would move to a new location, and then he would be preaching and speaking particularly to both Jews and to Gentiles. 
Now, the next key thought that I have, I put in your bulletin. It's, it's in there just below the Scriptures. Paul used one set of words and ideas when he shared the good news of the gospel to Jews in the synagogue. Paul used a different set of words and ideas when he shared the good news of the gospel to Gentiles. This is called contextualization. To put it simply, Paul fit what he was saying to the group he was speaking to. So, as I mentioned, we're going to look at Paul, how he spoke to two different groups, to a group of Jews and then Gentiles, which is everybody else, anybody who is not a Jew. So the first example comes from Paul speaking to Jewish people in a synagogue in the city of Antioch in what is modern-day Turkey. And you find that in Acts 13. And as he begins speaking to them, he begins with some Old Testament history. He talks about Abraham. He talks about Samuel. And then as he continues to talk about the history in Acts 13, verse 22, he says this. This is Paul speaking. Paul says, he, referring to God, God raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. And so in verse 23, Paul ties David, from Old Testament history, to Jesus. He's making a connection there for them. And Paul continues more, with more history up from David up through John the Baptist. Now when Paul is talking to these people in the synagogue, to the Jews and Jewish converts, when he talks about Abraham and Samuel and David, they're Old Testament heroes. They're following him. They are right there with Paul as he speaks about them. Paul also quotes from the Old Testament, from Psalms and from Isaiah. And he's laying a foundation for them. But after, he is in, after his introduction, where he's kind of connected with them, Paul makes his argument. Now we think of the word argument as we are, I'm angry with you and, and you're angry with me and we're disagreeing and back and forth. Well, this is, I'm talking about the logical kind of argument where you make your case. So Paul has made his introduction. Now he's going to make his case. <clears throat> and in Acts 13, 26, Paul says, Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. So now it's as if he's speaking, and now he says, Look, I know who I'm talking to. I have here Jews. I have Jewish converts that are here. And I'm talking to you and saying God had promised in the Old Testament a salvation and now he's sent to you this message. And then he continues in verse 32. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. Well, if you look in verse 32 here, he says, I, we bring you the good news. In the Greek, that's the gospel. The euangelion. He's bringing the gospel. And he's talking about the promised salvation and he says this salvation that God had promised hundreds of years ago in the Old Testament, 
has now come through Jesus. And Paul is working to, to prove the messianic identity of Jesus. Because he knows that the Jews had been waiting for the Messiah for hundreds of years. And God had promised that the Messiah was going to come. And, and, and you notice that as Paul continues to, to speak, he continues to quote from the Old Testament again and again. And then he makes his conclusion in verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Paul is calling these people to turn to God, to repent, by calling them and reminding them that they need forgiveness from God. And then he makes it clear that this forgiveness, their salvation, doesn't rest on them being God's chosen people. It doesn't rest on them keeping the law of Moses. Look at the, the verse 39. He says, you can't be freed. You can't get forgiveness by keeping the law. No, he says it all rests on Jesus. Now, why does he speak this way? Why does Paul speak this way to these people? He knows that every week when they come to church, they went to the synagogue, they would read from the Old Testament. He knew that many of them memorized portions of the Old Testament. It was their Bible. And he also knew that they were very familiar with the Messianic prophecies in the Old Testament and they were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. And so what does he do? He points back to the Old Testament. They know it's the Word of God. He points to their heroes, Abraham, Samuel, and David. He connects the history with Jesus and then shows how Jesus is the Messiah. He knows what they believe to be true and he works from there. Now let's look at the second example. Paul is speaking to men in Athens. Now it, we, what we just read at the very beginning, he's in Athens and he sees all the statues to their gods and he's provoked and he's talking in the synagogue and he's talking in the marketplace to people. And his conversation in the marketplace gets him an invitation to go to the Areopagus which was a place where the Greek philosophers met. And he, he knows very clearly that they're Gentiles, and so you're going to see he uses a different approach. Now, he, in one sense, he follows the same pattern. He has an introduction, he makes his case, and a conclusion. But in this case, with his introduction, he commends them for being religious. Acts 17, verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens... I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Now Paul was very familiar with them and their, their, their religion and their philosophies. He knew that the Greeks had many gods. We're just a little bit too loud now. If you've ever read any Greek mythology, you know there's lots of different gods. And Paul knew that 
the Greeks, in one sense, were open to the possibility of there being new gods, but to try to make that case was going to be very challenging and take time and, and be very difficult. And so he goes a different route. Paul refers to the unknown God. Now you might think it's strange that they had an unknown God, but this was one that they already accepted. You see, there was a story from Greek history that has survived till today. We have no idea if it's true or not, but here's how it goes. About 600 years before Jesus, in Greece, a plague broke out, a sickness. People were getting sick and people were dying. And so they sacrificed to all the various gods that they had with the idea that if, if they're happy with us now, they'll stop the plague. Nothing worked. They've sacrificed to all the gods. Somebody had the idea, maybe there's another god we don't know about yet. Let's sacrifice to the unknown god. And when they did, just like that, the plague stopped. And so they built an altar in Athens to the unknown god. And there it was when Paul comes and talks to the people. And that's what he points to. He says, you want to know about this unknown God? I can tell you. And he totally avoids all the complicated mess of trying to introduce a new God to them. He also has their attention because they know the story. And so Paul then presents his argument. He states his case, starting in verse 24 of Acts 17. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and the imagination of man. Now, I can tell you that <clears throat> for me, reading this, doesn't quite connect. It, it, it's not, you know, it doesn't really have a punch to me. But to them, I believe it did. Because he was speaking to them about the things they talked about, the things they struggled with, the things that they thought about. And what is he doing? He's making a case, building towards being able to talk about Jesus. But as you look at just these verses I just read, there's a few things I want you to see. First, something that Paul doesn't do. Paul doesn't use any Jewish terms like Messiah. He doesn't quote from the Old Testament directly because he knows that those two things would not mean anything to the Greeks. They, they, don't, they, they haven't adopted the Jewish religion. So it doesn't have any authority with them. Paul does show that he knows their religious customs. He knows that they believe in gods, that they've built temples, they go to those temples to worship. He knows that they have a sense that they need to seek God. 
and see if they can find him, connect with him. Paul quotes from two different Greek poets. And if you look at those two quotes, it's where he says, in him we live and move and have our being. And then the other one is, for we are indeed his offspring. If you look at those two quotes, you'll realize those two quotes are in line with what the Old Testament says. But they were written by Greek poets who didn't know the Old Testament. But they match. And then you'll notice what he does in much of this piece that we just looked at. Paul confronts them, but he does it respectfully. He says, you want to know about the unknown God? I'm telling you about the unknown God. He's the one who created everything that exists, including you and me. And if he created us, how can we think that we can put him in this little temple and say that's the only place he is? How can we think that he needs anything from us? How can we think that a statue can contain him? So he's pushing against some of their beliefs and practices. But he's doing it respectfully. And then, <clears throat> in Acts 17.30, he presents his conclusion. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So he says, I've been telling you about the unknown God. You didn't know about him, so your ignorance is understandable. But now that I've told you about the unknown God, you need to turn to him. God wants you to turn to him, to repent. That's what repent means, to turn. Turn to God. And also recognize this. God's going to hold you accountable. The God who created you, the God that provides everything that you need for life, he's going to hold you accountable. And then, Paul just makes this reference to the resurrection. Now, the resurrection was not a new idea to the Greeks, but it was controversial. But it is the hook to the gospel. Here's the second key thought that's also in your bulletin. I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself again. Let me share, you, uh, share with you three things that Paul is doing. I got these points from a book where the author was analyzing Paul's methods, where he was, uh, the differences between him speaking to the, uh, the Jews in the synagogue and speaking to the Greeks. And this is what Paul is doing as he speaks to the Greeks. He used shared or well-explained vocabulary. Now that's author ease. To put it very simply, he used words in a way that people understood. He used words they understood, and he used words in a way that they understood. He didn't use any religious, Jewish religious terms with these people because he knew they didn't understand them. It would be like somebody standing up here giving you a detailed lecture on cellular biology, and we don't know anything about cellular biology. Paul used respected authorities to supplement what he said from the Bible. Now Paul was speaking from the Old Testament when he talked to them about the unknown God. He was speaking from the Old Testament. He just didn't quote chapter and verse. But he didn't just stop there. He actually pulled from their poetry, from their history, 
and said, oh, you know this poet and this poet. Look at what they said. The Athenians, these men in Athens listening to him, they respected those poets. They probably memorized some of their poetry. They go, oh yeah, I remember him. And Paul quotes from them, and those quotes happen to match what God says in the Old Testament. And then thirdly, Paul agrees with them with some of their beliefs. He, he actually he works hard to find some points of agreement. But then, as you noticed, he then confronts them. You believe in gods. You also worship the unknown God. I'm telling you about the unknown God. But he doesn't live in a temple. He's not confined to it. He doesn't need anything from us. He confronts them based on their beliefs. There's one other thing that, that I want you to catch in terms of this presentation. And again, it's, it doesn't really totally resonate with us the way Paul is talking to them, because we're not them. But Paul doesn't try to present everything about the gospel of Jesus to them the first time he talks to them. In fact, you notice he doesn't even mention the name of Jesus at all. What does he do? He starts from what they do agree with about gods, talks to them about the unknown God, says this God created you, you need to turn to this God, this God is going to hold you accountable. And he recognized that they understood that they, hadn't, that they weren't perfect. So he's basically letting them follow this logic to the point where they realize, I have a dilemma. And then he says, oh, but by the way, there's this man that God raised from the dead. What is he doing? He's setting the stage for the next conversation. He's preparing them for later conversations. So that some of those that are willing to listen and talk to him and say, okay, let's talk a little bit more about this God and the fact that I'm accountable to him and this man that's going to judge, you said God raised him from the dead. That gives him the opening to begin talking about Jesus to them and to, be, to, to go further with the good news of the gospel. So you look at these two presentations and you can see that, that Paul was able to go much further in talking about Jesus as the Messiah to, to share more details of the good news of the gospel with the Jews because they already had a foundation from the Old Testament and he was able to connect some dots for them. He wasn't able to go nearly as far with the Greeks. He just did an introduction to them so they could have further conversations. Well, you and I are basically in the same place as Paul was with the Greeks. That today in Western culture, if we talk to people, many don't know anything about the Bible. And as we share things from the Bible, they may not agree. But those are true. Now, the next point that's in your bulletin. As Paul is doing both of these talks, Paul adapted his presentation of the gospel to his audience and I encourage you to underline the next words, without distorting the gospel. He didn't distort the truth of the gospel at all as he presented these talks to them. I want to look at one other scripture. It's the second scripture you have in your bulletin. And this is where Paul talks about his plan of action that you see him doing in, in these two uh, passages we just looked at from Acts 13 and Acts 17. In 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 20, 
Paul says, To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not, my, not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Now you see a couple of things here. One, Paul likes complicated sentences. <clears throat> but the second thing is this. Paul, when he says to this one group of people, I'm going to try to fit in with them. This other group of people over here, they're different. I'm going to try to fit in with them. Is Paul changing the good news at all? No. He's finding points of connection. He's finding points of connection with these people. And you and I can find points of connection when we talk with people. You might even call them starting points when we talk with people. Especially when we have in mind the ultimate goal of being able to share the good news of Jesus with them. If we put up this list, go to the next slide. If you're talking with someone and, you're, and you've gotten to know them and you realize that they are struggling with guilt, they have done something, they know they've hurt others, they're looking for forgiveness. For that person, the good news of the gospel says, God knows that you're guilty and he's provided a way for you to be forgiven. But the person who's struggling with loneliness, the good news of the gospel of Jesus says, God comes to us. He initiates, and when he comes, he puts his spirit in us so that he is closer to us than our very breath. He promises that we'll never be alone, and he won't forsake us. For the person who's looking for security or acceptance, the God who created the universe says he chooses to love us chooses to work for our good, like the, the, one of the songs that we sang this morning. We can have that security. We can know that he, he knows ex us, who we are exactly, and he loves us anyway. We can have total acceptance. For the person who's looking for peace, God offers peace between us. For the person who's struggling with selfishness, they say, you know, there's some bad things in me, and I want to change, but I don't know how. The good news from, of Jesus says that he comes to us and takes us exactly as we are, but he doesn't leave us as we are, that he changes us. The person who's looking for a purpose bigger than themselves. God's plan crosses generations, thousands of years, much bigger than any one of us. For the one who wants to know God, the good news says God came to us and he revealed himself to us. We can know him. We can have a personal relationship with him. For the person who's looking for love or hope or meaning in life, again, in the good news, that's part of the good news. That God chooses to love us and enables us to love. He gives us hope, not just a wish, but a, a solid expectation that he's doing good and meaning in life. And so what you see is the good news of the gospel connects with every one of these. 
And you and I can also connect with every one of these as well. We have a way to be able to talk with people. But notice when you look at this list, sin isn't mentioned. Not yet. You can start with every one of these and if you understand the good news of God and what he says, eventually as you talk with someone, especially if they're interested in spiritual things, you're going to end up talking about sin and forgiveness. You have to because that's at the core. But these are all different starting points that can, you can follow that will take you to the good news of God, of God's forgiveness for us. Now another thing about talking with people about these kinds of things is it usually requires building a relationship. Getting to know them, letting them get to know you, which means multiple conversations over a period of time, normally. Occasionally you might find somebody who comes up to you and shakes you by the lapels and says, I am struggling with guilt. I need some answers now. Can you help me? And if you're a Christian, you can say, well, I know what that's like. Yes, I can tell you. I can tell you what God did for me. But normally, they're not going to come up and shake your lapels and say, please tell me. But you may have the opportunity to have conversations. And you can eventually get there. And the other thing is this. These conversations will work only if you're genuinely interested. Genuinely care. I don't know where this quote from, but I've heard it multiple times over the last few years. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. But if you do care... And you, can, and, and you can talk with them, then you have the opportunity. But we have a challenge. We have a challenge before us in that we've, especially if you're like me, you've grown up in the church, you've just kind of learned by absorption what all these church words and, and Bible words mean. And if you encounter somebody who's, who doesn't know anything about the Bible, and you start talking about God or something else, they might not know what you mean. So here's the challenge for you to start thinking this week. This is something we're going to work on in the Sunday school class, Gospel Conversations, several weeks from now. But I just want you to kind of be thinking about it uh, over the weeks, and that's this. Work out how you would explain the concepts of God and sin to a person who has no Bible background. In, in one of the books, uh, Questioning Evangelism, um, Randy Newman starts off in the first chapter about a conversation he had with a student on a university campus. The, the student was from Russia and had grown up being taught uh, atheism. And Randy started to talk to him about God and the guy interrupted him and said, what do you mean by God? And it kind of set him back. And he had to stop and think a bit. And the guy wasn't being argumentative. He didn't know. He had, never, he had never grown up learning about God, hearing that there was a God. So he was genuinely interested to know. So the challenge. Think about how would you explain. Now, you're not trying to, I'm not saying figure out how to convince somebody. We're going to talk about that in the class, Sunday school class as well. We're not going there. But just somebody who wants to know says, I don't know, never heard about God, don't know what it, he is or anything. Can you explain it to me? 
Think about how you do that. But think about this, too. We've already talked about it. How did you and I learn about God? Well, it didn't just start with a Sunday school teacher or a preacher or somebody like that or parents. It started with God coming to us. In the form of Jesus, God coming through his prophets, then speaking through Jesus, and then doing through Jesus everything needed so that he could reconcile us to himself. And then he works through his spirit to teach us, to encourage us, to remind us, to convict us. And then he uses people to put the words to it and to show us and to love us. God does this because he wants us to be part of his family. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for loving us. We thank you for acting first. We thank you for this example of Paul, even though it may not resonate that well with us, but we see in it this idea that there isn't just one way to talk to people about the good news, but it turns out there's all kinds of ways to start, and there's all kinds of parts involved that we can speak with others. Just as there are different ways, if, if we were to talk amongst people who are Christians, we'll find that there's different ways that you got our attention and helped us to see how you are the answer we've been looking for. That you are the God we were missing, the person that we needed. We thank you for coming after us. We thank you for loving us. Help us to care for others, to be ready to speak to talk to others about what we believe, what we know to be true, but to do it in ways that others can understand. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.